Welcome to the Honest Art Podcast. I'm your host, Jody King. As an artist for 20 years, instructor, speaker, author, and fellow rebel, I've worked with thousands of people around the world, from beginners to established artists, helping them create their strongest art and build a career doing what they love. So if you are ready to have a little fun while you learn about art, creativity, building a thriving art business, and living a bold, audacious life, you are in the right place. Also, if you're considering going pro in your art business, grab the PDF in the show notes on the five things they don't teach you in art school. All right, let's get messy. Hello, and welcome back to the Honest Art Podcast. So I have the incredibly talented Karen Teledano with us today, and I'm, I'm really excited to interview Karen and I'm really excited uh, for you guys to hear about uh, her and her work as well, because we're both self-taught artists as well as painters and writers. I'm, you could actually have the uh, distinction of author. I'm right now still a writer, hopefully an author, published author soon. So you've got you've got it going on. Um, so you're way ahead of the game yeah. in comparison. But um, I'm really excited to talk to Karen today and to find out about her creative outlets of painting and writing. So welcome, Karen. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much, really so much for having me. I'm very excited for this. Oh, well, I, I can't wait for, because hopefully after people hear this, or maybe even during, um, they're going to be able to go to your Instagram or to your website and to learn more. And when they see your art, they're going to be like, like me, just kind of like, holy shit, that is just incredible. And then when they learn more about it, they're, they're going to, um, they're going to be so excited. I've got my cat here. So let's see how this oh. is going to work. Um, well, why don't you just chill right there for a minute? Um, all right. So Karen, I'm going to read the, your bio, but then I'm going to ask you to put it in your own words, how you would refer to yourself. So Karen Teledano is a self-taught artist based in New York city. She received her BA in English from Harvard. Is that it? Just Harvard? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and her MA in arts and humanities education from NYU, also another incredible institution. Uh, Karen worked as a literary agent, Hollywood story editor, freelance writer, and film archivist before committing herself to a creative life. That, that just, like all of that to me is a creative life, but I know what you're saying. Uh, yeah, after, right. after What's that? I should have rephrased that. You're right. You're right. <laughs> after publishing several short stories in literary journals, writer's block led to Karen exploring fine art. And in her first solo show, I believe in 2017, is that correct? Yeah. 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 Um, she coupled abstract collage with excerpts from her torn up stories, which was a reminder never to marry her darlings. I love that. Clearly you are a writer. I, I didn't write it. I, I wish I had. I wish I had, but I, I got it from somewhere. I don't even remember where, but I just, I carry it with me always. I think it's, you know, there's certain darlings that you should marry, but I think when it comes to art, um, it's really important to remember that these things can be taken apart and they can be, they can come back together in other manifestations. That's how I was thinking about it. Like these, these stories I had written, I could, I could take them apart and sort of free the, 
the vignettes or the words or the phrases or the scenes and put them elsewhere. Um, I love that. Yeah, and you. I'm going to get in, let, I'm going to get yeah, into more of that because I have, uh, I often talk about, you know, with, especially with abstract work, like you do, um, I, I often get the, um, the question, you know, how do you know when it's done and how do you know when to stop and all of those sort of things. But one of the things I always like to talk about is nothing, you cannot hold anything too precious. You have to be able to willing, be willing to let those things go, especially in abstract art. And so when you talked about, you know, um, never to marry the darlings, I, that's kind of what I heard, but tell us about your like creative process, because I know for me as a kid, I never thought I was an artist. I didn't go to, you know, I didn't have to take art class. I did in third grade, but that all went to shit. Um, and then because of I, an art teacher I had that just let me know I wasn't doing it right. Um, anyway, tell us about your upbringing and how you, like at an early age, were you an artist or how did it go down for you? So I, I wasn't an artist per se at an early age, but it's impossible to say that I didn't have a creative upbringing because I was surrounded by creativity. My parents are just intensely curious human beings. They're curious about the way the world works, you know, the universe. Um, so I was just surrounded by people who were just inquisitive and constantly asking questions and pursuing their own interests. You know, my mom um, was actually heading toward being an art conservator. Um, she wanted to restore old manuscripts. And when she decided to be a stay-at-home mom, which is a word I take issue with because she wasn't at home. She was out exploring the world and, you know, investigating these new interests and taking us along on these adventures. And so I was just surrounded by that. Like she was, uh, she became a master quilter. She would write stories for us and then illustrate the books. And, um, you know, I remember I'm dating myself now, but I really wanted a cabbage patch kit. And my mom was like, okay, I can make that. So she made me a cabbage patch kit. Like it was just this creative life. And my dad, he's a, he's a retired physician, but he, just loved um, the mechanics of, of things. So he, I'd come home and there'd be a radio just dismembered on the kitchen table. And my mom's like, where are we going to eat? He's like, hang on, I'll put it back together. But like, it was just so wonderful to, to see their curiosity. That's what I grew up around. I didn't find writing until I got to college and I met other people that were like brave enough to say, I might want to do this for a living. And that's when I really felt like maybe this is something I could do because I was always trying to find the thing that I was curious about. Mm -hmm. As a child, I didn't know what that was. But when I sort of went, you know, I wouldn't say college is out in the world. But it, when I left my parents' house, I was able to locate my interest. And that was really other people, their interactions, you know, how they think, why they think the way they do, and just how they interacted with each other. Writing was such a great outlet for exploring that. Yeah. You know? I love that you brought up curiosity because... I often talk about curiosity is is where all creativity begins, right? Just just having the courage to follow the curiosity one little morsel at a time, because otherwise it wouldn't be curiosity. It would be something, I don't know, so much more blatant, right? Yeah. but to me, curiosity is is that precursor to to creativity. So go ahead. It just, um, it can be a little, a little thing, you know, I'm curious about this tiny little thing and then you, you delve into it and you realize how complex it is. 
because everything is more interesting and complicated than we ever want to admit. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, and you also brought up another really interesting point, which is that uh, you, you got, you thought, oh, writing, maybe that could be, you know, a career or something to do. Yeah. And so often any sort of creative pursuit, writing, painting, you know, whatever, you know, acting, yeah. singing, whatever that creative pursuit might be, there's, um, there's plenty of people along the way that let us know that that's not really a, right. a realistic pursuit. Did that happen for you when you made that decision or? No. I was in an unusual position because I, my parents were always telling us to just do what we were curious about and do what, you know, we thought we could find joy and meaning in. Um, so I would test them when I was a kid and, you know, I'd be like, oh yeah, well, what if I want to be a, an NBA star? And of course, like I have no talent and they're like, just try. I, I kept trying to get them to tell me to do something practical <laughs> and they, they wouldn't do it. And I, I was pre-med all through college and I knew deep down that my parents knew that I didn't, they never told me to go into medicine. Um, and it was almost like my rebellion to say, okay, well, I'm going to do this very practical thing. Not that medicine is not a huge challenge and, and creative in its own way, but I never had that pushback. And so finally, you know, when I got to college, I was like, all right, um, I'm going to try this. But I did understand that I needed to put it in the framework of like a way that I can make money. So I, I did, you know, um, lean toward publishing. I did that for a bit, but there was always a job or a career path that allowed me to pursue writing. So it wasn't really like jumping off of a a high dive without any water, you know? Right, right. And I, um, I, I feel the same way about painting. And when I, I, I teach a course called the Art Biz for Rebels, and one of the things I teach is, mm -hmm. is the, the to have various different. You can stay in the painting in the creativity, but to have various revenue streams to really yeah. support that, you don't have to completely get out and departure you right. know, from the creativity, but it is important for sustained income to be able to have the things like what you're talking about. Is that, was that yeah. your experience? Absolutely. And I, you know, I think maybe there's a moment when you're in your early twenties and you're like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to live in a little apartment in Brooklyn and I'm going to do it in this sort of cinematic way. And of course, like in reality, nobody really wants to be struggling against <laughs> me. So just you naturally gravitate toward, okay, well, I have to be somewhat practical about this. And the truth is there are so many jobs that are open to creative people that don't ask you to depart entirely from that creative pursuit and allow you the time to do that thing. And, you know, for me, that was like editing and freelance writing. I was a teacher in many different forms. I would even like tutor after school. And, you know, and I, I was never a full-time classroom teacher, but I did work like in a college setting where I would do like um, writing workshops and, you know, things like that. So there's always something to do. And if you're curious, you'll always find it. Right. You know? Right. I completely agree. So mm -hmm. Karen, you, you were writing and, um, and you said you got writer's block. And yeah. that led you to, to painting. Tell us about, do you, do you mind sharing that story? No, no, of course. I love sharing it now because it kind of, it worked out. Um, <laughs> I Sometimes I ask myself, like, do I still have writer's block? And I'm not sure because I think I'm so into the painting right now that I, my mind is moving in one direction. I would really like, you know, moving forward to start reincorporating writing into my practice, not necessarily into my painting, but just into my life. Um, so what happened was I was working, I think at that point I had about 
five different jobs. Um, one of them was a, you know, teaching at this college, um, working with college kids on their writing. Um, and I was editing, I was doing a lot of freelance journalism. And at one point I realized that a lot of my writing was, um, I had an interest in houses and homes, like buildings and locations would become very important, almost characters in my stories. Like I had this one story where the house itself becomes like a character and it appears to be like aging, you know, like a, a an old woman. And you don't know at the end if it's the protagonist who's just envisioning this or if it's actually the house. But so I realized at one point that I had this interest in location and the way people react to their locations. And so when I was looking for more income, I was like, apartment staging seems like a way to kind of become a voyeur into people's homes. So again, it was like this point of curiosity. Um, and I had a lot of friends that were real estate brokers and they were like, well, let's give it a try. You know, I have this listing. So I just, I just really took to it. I loved it. It was just a difficult business model to maintain. Um, but what happened was I was working with these limited budgets and I realized that I had to either buy or rent art, which is doable. But at a certain point, you're like, I'm just renting the same art and it's not really special. Why don't I just try to make it? So I started to make the art just for the project. Um, and I'm getting used to working with the paint. I'm just having fun. And um, I have this sort of very defined thing that I have to create because I know what the space needs. There was no real fear in it. Um, and that's when, bam, like I just, I got writer's block. It was like, I couldn't, I had no more stories to tell or I didn't have the language to tell them in. Um, I have been working on a collection of stories that were revolving around these sort of like people within their spaces. And then I'm apartment staging and making paintings. And so the painting just became this therapeutic outlet to find another way to creatively express myself while the stories were on hold. Um, and so really that's where sort of the self-taught thing came in because I was just trying to learn this new skill as a way to sort of forget about writing for a minute. Yeah. But I was so not afraid to try because I had no expectations. I was right. learning this as a newbie. It was like my dad with the radio on the kitchen table. He's like, I have no idea how this thing works. Let's take it apart. So I just started to buy as many different types of brushes and paints and surfaces and just play around. And there was no fear in it. Right. So it just it made it easy to experiment. So you've been painting now for how many years? Well, I guess, you know, it's going on, going on 10 years is when I sort of started with the staging and playing around, but I really didn't become serious about it until shortly before that show in 2017. So I'd say like six, seven years, Yeah, you know, being really serious about it. Right, right. Years of play so there. So at a, I, I'm relating this to my own experience with with writing and painting, mm -hmm. and I'm curious to know if you feel, you know, how you feel about this, but sometimes what I say about painting is that it's, it's an expression for something for which I have no words. Mm -hmm. And, and yet I also write and then sometimes, mm -hmm. and then searching for those words can often be difficult in and of itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like painting, I'm, I'm just curious because you're like, then I all of a sudden I got writer's block. So I'm curious how you feel if the paintings were maybe in lieu of the words is, I don't know if that's yeah. the right. I think so. I, I think um, I was always very hard on myself as a writer. I was always um, hyper editing everything before I would even let it 
let it go. Um, even just to give it to a, a trusted reader, I would have to have everything meticulously laid out. I, I did a lot of pre-planning. It was very, it was agonizing in a, in a, the best way, in, in the way of a passion, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, I was, I was giving myself anxiety. So I was, I kind of blocked myself because I had these unrealistic expectations. Right. I think, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, I think that the difficulty for me with fiction writing was that I had to be both incredibly specific, like I had to create this specific vignette, this moment, and also be very, very universal and relatable. So like anybody would get it, even if they didn't have any, you know, understanding of that particular scene. So it was this balance that was always a struggle to maintain. And so writing, uh, sorry, painting rather, was a way to sort of get away from the specificity and go to the general. Like you're saying, painting is more of an expression of a feeling or an emotion that we can't find words for. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why I just loved it so much right away, because I was freed from one half of that equation, which was the specificity. I'm not, it's not a realistic depiction of anything, but it is in many ways like relatable and hopefully more of a general and, you know, understandable moment. Right. Um, I hope that was. That makes sense. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And which leads me to my next question, which is your, your style is very specific. It's very unique to you, which is one of the reasons that I love it so much. Do you, was this a style that originally started coming to you or was it very different in the beginning versus where it is now? In the beginning, I think, especially because I had started with collage, it was much more um, geometric and ordered and organized. And I do love that. It was like I was building a house, and, you know. Um, so I think um, I was in many ways still doing what I was doing with the writing, which was being hyper edited and very pre-planned and structured from the onset. Um, and I I've moved into more sort of like combining that structure with a more intuitive, washy beginning. Uh, so instead of going straight to the orderliness, I was starting in chaos, you know, which um, I think I was never quite able to do in my writing. I feel like the writing was always very or orderly right from the onset. Um, so as I moved into this style, I think it was, it was actually my mom who said something. She was like, you know, I, I love what you're doing. And, and she was very supportive of it. She was like, but I wonder if you might try to just, just for fun, do something a little less organized. And I was like, huh. And I, and at first I was like, she hates it. You know, she hates what I'm doing. And then I was like, no, I think it's an opportunity. Um, and that's when I really started to just play around with being intuitive, whether it was closing my eyes when I did the underlayer or painting with my right hand, so I'm a lefty, um, or just, you know, painting to music and, and sort of seeing where my hair went, hand went, sorry, based on the beat or the sound. Um, so it was something I had to move into consciously. It didn't, it did not come naturally. Um, and then as I started to do that, because, you know, what I really wanted to do was create order that came back in. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's where you get the geometry on top of these sort of more, you know, um, intuitive undercoats. That's really fascinating that you describe it as order. Mm -hmm. Um, I have recently, uh, you know, my work is very abstract and it's, you know, I'll do similar things I'll, to get out of my head. I'll put on music and I'll, mm -hmm. I, I'll move quickly to quick uh, speed also helps for me to get out of, um, yeah. out of my head. Not always, but you know, at different points of a painting, sometimes I'll just need to speed mm -hmm. it up faster than my brain can overcorrect me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, go ahead. 
no, no, I just, I love that. I, I'd never thought about pace as being a way to sort of get out of your head, you know, just like move faster than, you're, than you, you can edit. <laughs> right. Yeah. At least for me. But more recently, um, I, I have been finding like, do you know how when you're working a painting and it just feels like you're having to wrestle it to the ground? Some go really quickly and you're like, oh, look how smart and clever I am. And then others, you're like, I'm a hack. I don't know what I'm doing, right? And I find that usually I am trying to force something mm-hmm. or create maybe something that I used to, or I don't know. I'm trying to do so. It's just whatever it is, it's just not working. And mm-hmm. so more recently, I have found that I have an abstract piece and then I go in and I just put paint blocks of color mm-hmm. on top. You can still see some of the abstract behind it, but there's blocks of color on top. Mm-hmm. And so I started, rather than judging myself, yeah. I followed that curiosity. And then I asked myself, what is this about? Mm-hmm. And what you just described is order. Yeah. I describe for myself as safety. Hmm. So to me, there was safety within the, just creating those blocks and geometrics of color on top. And then I asked myself, all right, Jody, what's this about? Right. Cause it tends to be a reflection, especially if you're painting intuitively, like you're talking right. about. And I had to discern, oh, well, this is because what's happening in my life right now. And, and it was related to my book. Um, I was sharing my book with um, with my daughters who I, they were the first to read the, other than my editor, obviously. And there was so much fear that I, and it, when I went to show up to paint, all I needed was just safety. So my blocks of color, that's what it was for me. Right. So it's, I'm just fascinated to talk to you because when people, if they, when they see your art, they're going to know what we mean by by that order and mm-hmm. that, you know, so do yeah. you, do you find that your style is continually like, or has it, has it been very similar for a while? Is it, it mm-hmm. do you like, tell me where you are in your creative journey? Yeah. Um, that's a very good question. I need to, to give it a, a second of thought. Um, I think one of the issues for me is that I feel like I'm, I'm not working in a defined style, you know, like, um, I feel really? like I, <laughs> it's funny, right? We're so, we're critical of the things that nobody sees. And then we're not critical of the things that people do notice. It's, um, but my issue has been like, when I go on Instagram and I see people working in these very clearly defined sort of sig- what we call a signature style, I feel like, oh no, my stuff is so all over the place. I'm using a much too broad of a palette. You know, sometimes I'm more geometric, sometimes I'm more intuitive. So to me, I feel like I don't have that, that style. So that's why it's a little bit difficult for me to put into words like exactly where I am. And okay, moment- that statement alone is going to be so relatable to so many artists who who really feel like they don't have one, and yet the yeah. rest of us go like, "Oh no, girl, you've got your style." <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy to. It's music to my ears. Even kind of a style, I think like. When I started to show people my work and I did feel like it was a lot of different things because it was part collage, it was part like, you know, painting on raw canvas and then there was gesso canvas. It was a lot of things because of the experimental moment that I was going through. Um, But they would always say to me, don't apologize. I can tell that you did it. It still looks like your work. So I, it doesn't matter if you're creating in a lot of different styles or using different mediums. I mean, that's great. That's creativity. It's still yours and it's still going to look like yours, even if you don't see it. It's you know, that's what's coming across. Um, 
So I do feel like I'm always evolving. Like to get back to your question, um, I try to sort of find that balance between like dwelling in a space that seems like it's working and being like, okay, I'm, I'm going to create a series in this field um, and still allow myself like within those, that series to start to find my exit ramp to the next thing. Right. So there's always like right now I, I have a few collections at different galleries um, and one of them has much more like, like larger geom- like central geometry defining the, the shape um, and the colors are much darker. And then, uh, you know, elsewhere, I'll do more of my sort of like raw canvas, kind of lighter palleted, more kind of whimsical, colorful pieces. So what I try to do is, if I'm creating a lot of different things, just sort of put them in sef- separate places so that wherever they are, they feel coherent. Yeah. If, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. And you bring up a really good point um, in that the, the different galleries that you have uh, that, mm-hmm. that are representing your work and that they each like different you know, things that you're creating. And Mm -hmm. so when you were given your, um, your solo show and I, um, I, well, shit, I wrote it down. Um, tell me the name of your solo show again. It was the act, but not the thing is sacred. I know it's a, it's a mouthful. (laughs) No, but it's so good. The act, but not the thing is sacred. Tell us why you, I, I, when I read it, I was like, that is, that's poetic in and of itself. Clearly a writer. Tell us how you decided on that title for the show. Well, that was really like at the height of, um, that was the height being like the beginning of my writer's block, which is when it really hits you the hardest. Yeah. Um, and then I had this opportunity to, you know, show, share these collages on a wall, you know, and I'm like, how do I express how I feel about these pieces? And, um, I had felt very attached to the stories um, and then I'd made this choice to literally rip them up because in many cases I used pieces of the, you know, tea stain, like I, I tried to make them look aged yeah. <laughs> and antiqued in some way and like, you know, use them in the collage. Um, but I wanted to get across that it wasn't the story that was sacred. It wasn't even the collage that was sacred. It was the, you know, addressing of the, what was intriguing to me about either expression of creativity and just holding on to the process of exploring it, even if it meant ripping up the story and finding a visual interpretation because I wasn't able to ever fully do it as a story. So I think it was another way of saying, don't marry your darlings, you know, just be, you can be married to the process and forgive yourself for the outcome because it's never going to be perfect. You're always going to look at it and say, especially if you put it away for a minute and you come back and be like, what was I thinking? Like we all do that. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important to not make the thing sacred. You know? Yes. Oh my gosh. And, and um, the act, the very act of creating mm-hmm. um, is healing in and of itself. But so often, and I don't know if but I, I certainly do this for myself. So often I will decide, well, if I don't have time, to make a, a masterpiece or if I don't have time, cause it's never, ma- listen, every time I try to make a masterpiece. It, it may be, but maybe we just don't have the capability of calling it. And maybe that's humility and maybe that's a good thing. You know, that we're always yeah. like, oh, a little bit self-critical. Yeah. I, like I wonder if we weren't at all, if we would even like ourselves, you know, I, right. I would be embarrassed to, to be that proud of what I, that sounds horrible. Maybe don't include that. I love that. I think this is important because a, a little bit of a little bit of, of 
self-awareness, you know, and a little humility is really important. Can you imagine? I would just be arrogant as fuck <laughs> if I was like, I love that and I love that and I'm a brilliant. Yeah. yeah, like that, you know, image of there's that the Saturday Night Live had this old skit about Picasso where he was at that phase where he was so famous that he could just sign a napkin and be like, I'm Picasso, go sell that and go sell that. Um, I don't know if he was ever truly like that, but that idea of an artist just being so sure of the the value or market value of their work that they would be so um, lacking in humility. Right. Um, uncomfortable to me. Yeah. You know? That's a, that's a really interesting point. You make a, a great point about, you know, that, that balance. Um, can I just turn the change gears just a little bit? Because so much of what I do is I try to empower artists to you know make a living or at least, you know, make money doing what they love, which is mm-hmm. something you have done and I'm able to do. And so many artists are, we, we tend to hear about the many others that don't, but mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I talk about, which we touched on a little bit earlier was mm-hmm. revenue streams, you know, yeah. having various revenue streams. Mm-hmm. So um, do you, do you have other than painting your originals, mm-hmm. do you have other things that you do for a revenue stream? Would you mind sharing those or? I am a huge advocate of of selling high quality prints. And I I stress high quality because there are a lot of mass market um, publishers that they're a great way to make money, but they will, um, I don't know how to say this um, other than to say that they will reflect upon your originals. If you're, you don't want to sell, oversell yourself, I guess, guess is what I'm saying. So you can pick really high-end, well-curated publishers um, that maybe have like a competition involved in, in order for you to even sell with them. Or if you just look at their site, um, you would buy like 90% of what they were selling and you have to approach them and they have to accept your work. So it's it's more of a, a curated process in that sense. Um, if you do that, you're very meticulous about it, you can make a beautiful revenue stream. Um, so that's something I'm a huge advocate of. I actually became involved with a company that does uh, 3D prints. Yeah. Can I mention by name any company that you're I, welcome uh, to? Yeah, you're. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, so there's a company I work with out in LA. It's actually Portia De Rossi started it. It's it's called General Public Art, uh-huh. um, and they make what they call cinegraphs, which are really if you go into Restoration Hardware, you'll see a lot of their art art is coming from um, General Public and. Right. Um, there, it's it's just really fat. It's obviously there's always going to be a difference between the original and a print, but even just being able to stand, you know, maybe within two feet and see texture, like yeah, you know, just a three dimensional print. So that's something that I also love. It's kind of democratizing, you know, um, the art space even more. Um, so these yeah, again are all things. Yes, yeah, can I ask you about your prints? So yeah, yeah. there are um, there are so many different ways to do prints, and I'm really glad you brought up. Um, just kind of that mass market kind of thing, because I think that tends to uh, appeal to many artists just because of the ease, you know, Mm -hmm. that's just ease, you know, somebody else's, they've got a third party that's um, packaging them and, um, uh, you know, what is Mm -hmm. it? Fulfilling, fulfilling all of the things, but there are other ways that you can do prints at a higher level that reflect upon you as the artist and with more esteem, your work, you know, all of that. Right. Yeah. Um, and so because there's so many different ways to do it, I just want to ask you a 
a couple of things just because I think it would help other artists. So do you limit your number of prints or is it open-ended? Um, it depends on the publisher I'm working with. When I work with um, uh, certain ones, they are um, working with trade accounts. So they're selling to another retail. Like uh, I have some prints at CB2 now. So I don't believe that those are, are limited. Um, but it is a, um, an exclusive contract with the publisher, but I don't think it's a limited edition print. But sometimes I work with Minted, which is a company I love. Yeah. Um, they will, you know, sometimes limit, I think. You also have the ability to, to sell your own stuff and decide whether it's limited. To be perfectly honest, um, I don't really do that. It's not, I just, I feel like the whole point for me of a print is to make it accessible. And if more people want it, fantastic. Right. You know? Um, I do see the point of it, and I think it works a lot better for people who are sell who have their own print shop on their website when they're right. selling their own prints. Um, it's something I think about. The only reason I don't do it is just because it's another bit of labor and time for me. And I, because of the way I paint, I do have to do a lot of stretching and framing. That's sort of where I put that time. Print, uh, like having a print shop on my website, would be more time than I can spend yeah. right now. That's when I would really think about limiting the um, the run. Well, I love this. I love it because every it, it it's a reminder that there's no one mm -hmm. right way to do any of this. Yeah. Right? And you're not married to it. You could always change your tact in a month. I could decide to start selling off my website. Exactly. And so you're what you're speaking to, which I think is so important, is what is going to work for me as an artist and where do I want to put you know, our limited amount of time and resources. And what right. I hear you saying is I can make a great revenue stream in the way that I currently have it. And I can go over here instead and put my time and energy into, you know, the stretching and the, like whatever is valuable for you. So I think that is, um, I think that's great. I'm so glad you shared that. Um, and do you, do you work with any third party? I, so you also, you have your work in galleries. Do you happen to work with any designers or consultants or anything like that? Yeah. So, um, designers are something that, you know, early on, I was like very adamant about developing relationships with, with designers. I think one of the best ways to feel secure in your career, especially when you're starting out is if you have, you know, pretty stable trade accounts or people that you work with consistently and you're not just sort of. You don't feel like, oh, I'm just putting my art out there for the general public and hope, hoping that they see it or hope the inner, the Instagram algorithm likes me enough to like share my stuff. So really just go, making sure that every month you are spending dedicated time reaching out to people who are going to be consistent, um, you know, and mutually beneficial, you know, work for you. Um, so I, I do have designers that I know their work. They know mine. I know their aesthetic. They know mine. They'll come to me and say, do you have any darker pieces in this size or, you know, we're looking for something a little bit sparser in, in, you know, composition. So they'll have the confidence to come to you and say, this is specifically what we need. And then hopefully you can also just build commissions out of that and be like, well, I don't have anything right now. Um, so I think sometimes like we'll look at an, an artist, you know, how they're depicting their sales on Instagram and we don't even know all this other stuff that's happening in the background. Like, you know, the, like you said, the decorators and the consultants that they're working with. Um, Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you, you, you shared that because there it's, I've spoken about this before, but there are four times as many interior designers as there are mm -hmm. galleries, but mm -hmm. 
but as artists, we tend to hold as the pinnacle, you know, the gallery and, and there's nothing wrong with galleries. That's awesome. But we shouldn't put all of our eggs in that one basket by developing yeah. these relationships, like what you, mm-hmm. what you're saying, you know, with all these different industries, um, yeah. it's, it's so valuable. Actually, uh, in the art business program, I talk about like different ways to approach them. How do you know if it's a fit? Like you mm-hmm. not really, like you just said, hope is not a strategy, just posting on Instagram not a strategy. Right. It, it works well for some people, but you know, it's for that. Only, yeah, exactly. It should be the only one for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So I could, by the way, I could talk for hours about Instagram and how I feel it can and shouldn't be used, but we can save that for another time. Yeah. You know, um, social media is a big one and so many artists, um, so many artists have a lot of thoughts and feels on it. I happen to love social media. It was where I first started selling my art and I still continue to sell my art um, through it, but it's not the only way for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole, whole different thing. Uh, Okay. So let's, we're going to get everyone your Instagram handle, by the way, speaking of social media, we're going to put it in the show notes so that people can go and find you. But um, let me just ask you before I get to, you know, we have a tradition where the previous guest asks the next guest a question. They don't know who the guest is. But before I ask you that question, um, Karen, can you share what has been your biggest challenge as an artist? Well, um, I feel like I brought up Instagram because one of my biggest challenges has been not comparing myself to these beautiful curated feeds and, you know, feeling like um, simply having a, you know, what is it? A gram worthy feed is, is another job for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I think just remembering that everything, and it's great that Instagram allows you to curate your life. It again, is another way of democratizing the market so that you don't necessarily need a gallery. You can, you can be your own gallery and you have control over what is portrayed. Um, but it can be very difficult to remember that it is a curation. So that has been challenging for me to just you know, even just to look at somebody else's studio and be like, oh, that light or the ceilings are so high or it's not in your kitchen or whatever it is, you know. Um, and just remember that it's 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 an edited version of things. And maybe it, it can be a bit aspirational. You can say, all right, I, maybe I, I want to sell enough paintings to get a bigger studio. And, yeah. you know, so I think for me, it's been a little bit of that, you know, fighting the urge to compare myself to where other people appear to be. it's more important where you are right now. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up that because that comparison thing is Mm -hmm. just a, it really is a thief of, of so many things. It's the thief of our own um, curiosity, our own creativity. um, Yeah. So many things. And that's going to be, I think uh, I'm going to guess 90% of the artists out there are going to be like, hell yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's, it's a soul sucking thing, but, um, but it can be just really wonderful. Also a great way. It's an amazing tool. It's an amazing tool, but it's like anything. It's like, look, I love good wine. I think it's actually very useful for me in like social situations to just be a little bit more relaxed, but it's about putting limits on yourself, right? Like I, I don't want to, I don't want to let Instagram control me. I want to, I want to control the Instagram, you know? So it's, it's, yeah, it's about self-limiting like those negative instincts that we have. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And I love how you compared it to wine because I'm like, yes. I love a good bottle of wine more than I love Instagram. (laughs) 
for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Every time. Every <laughs> okay. So Karen, um, let me ask you the question from the previous guest. Okay. So here's your question. Uh, do you believe there is a creative power that guides mm. artists in their work? And if so, how does that play out in your creative practice? Um, well, I think that there's a creative power within every single human being. And I think it's intrinsic to us. It's not like some external, you know, use or something. We all have the ability to bring things into being, not as like gods. I'm not trying to, you know, make us into deities or anything, but we, I mean, we create human beings. We bring people into the world. We build buildings, we cure diseases. Everybody has the capacity to be creative. So I think one of the things is, and I think it also comes from the way I was raised by both like a scientist and an artist and understanding that like when I was working, I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but when I was working at the college, it was a school that had art, architecture, and engineering. There were only three programs and I was teaching writing. So what was interesting to me was the engineers, because I was asking them basically to like analyze a literary text and they would have the most creative solutions because their brains were wired to solve problems, like creative problems. Like, how do I make this building stronger? You know, how do I make this very tangible problem go away? Or, you know, yeah. um, so I get not to like, again, lose the thread. I think everybody has the ability to be creative and you don't have to be a, a painter or a writer to have that power within you. I 100% you know, agree. One of my ex-husbands was an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Yeah. And, and I used to say all the time, that is such a creative endeavor, you know, that it's such a creative career. So I'm, I'm glad you said that because so many people go, I'm not creative. I'm not creative. Like that's impossible. Right. Everybody's creative in a way. Yeah, for sure. Um, I love that. So you now have the opportunity to ask a question for our next guest. I have no idea who it's going to be. Um, what would your question be for our next guest? I have a bunch, but I sort of feel like the one I would most like immediately want answered is this, you know, this um, development of AI technologies and how that's already impacting the art world and uh, any potential further impacts, like what will happen to the role of the artist? Um, yeah, I mean, I could go on about that for a long time, but I'd be very curious to hear what other people have to say about it. And so the question is, what role could you ask it? Yeah, you know what? If you don't mind, like I actually wrote it down in a book. Oh, yeah. Word. Let's, let's. Okay. What are your thoughts on the development of AI technologies and their impact or potential impact on artists and the art world? I love that question because I think we're all wondering it to some extent. Like, how yeah. does this change? I, um, I have no idea what our next guest is going to say, but I will say that uh, I am friends with a man who works in AI for Disney. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that that he has said, and, and I've also recently read it with um, one of the guys on Shark Tank, uh, and their take on it, again, just you know, two people, but their take on it was creatives are going to be even more important than ever before because there are so many um jobs that maybe analytics or things that like ai is going to be able to do those so well right. but the creatives 
the the ones that follow the curiosity and we have no idea where it's going to go um yeah. that the creatives are going to be even more valuable i don't i i think it makes sense i think um like it's like so many things technology is a double-edged sword and there are these bottlenecks where at any you know technology changes and it pushes some people out but it also creates an opportunity for others i think it's an inevitable an inevitable thing there this is this is a bit like you know in the weeds but there is an but as a writer you might i don't know if you've ever read um there's an essay by walter benjamin from like the mid 20th century or earlier yeah around let's say the mid 20th century and don't quote me um, but it's called art in the age of mechanical reproduction and it was sort of grappling with the moment where you, you could actually print your work and you know we're talking now about prints as oh yeah that's an easy that's an easy yes of course we want to take advantage of that but he was writing at a time where it was like, what happens to the value of art when we can now reproduce it? And what does that mean to the artist? So the, this is not the first time that artists have had to address a change in technology. So I, I like that answer that that Disney guy gave, that there's <laughs> always going to be an opportunity for creatives to grow and, you know, with the technology. Yeah, that's fascinating. I'm going to um, look into that because I really do want to, to read. I think that would be a fascinating and, and so applicable. We're going to do a whole podcasts on this very subject because I do think it's fascinating and yeah. so stay tuned for that. Okay, Karen Teledano, tell everyone where they can find you because I know they're going to definitely want to do so. Oh, I hope so. I mean, I am making best efforts right now to grow my email list, which is challenging when Instagram is not your major, you know, um, like I I feel like I've been a little neglectful with, you know, engaging with Instagram in the right way. And so I'm trying now to like move into more of a, like an email list where I can have my engaged people there. So if people would go to my website, if they're interested in following my list, it's um, www.karentoledano. So that's K-E-R-E-N-T-O-L-E-D-A-N-O.com. I used to do it with the uh, military alphabet. It's like Kilo Echo Rip. Romeo. <laughs> well, luckily we will put it in the show notes so people can, you know, right. just drop it. And some people are like, where are the show notes? Just go to your, your podcast and look down below where, where you hit play and you'll find all of this information. So they can go to your website, which is beautiful. And you can also see your work, which is stunning. And there are links to, you know, all the galleries that I work with. Um, and my Instagram is karentoledano.art. Uh, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you and, uh, and it's, it's so fun, you know, with the whole writing and art piece of painting. So it was, you're just a delight and it's just wonderful. Thank you. And I, I wish talk more about your, your writing. Next well, we are right now, I'm in the process of, um, querying for, agents. So I'm sure you're very familiar with that process, but it's a beautiful, sweet spot right now where the book is all mine, you know? So it's not, I'm not defending it or anything. It's just mine. And I know I wrote it and it feels so good. So yeah, I'm kind of cherishing this. A little bit married to your darling, but you're willing to send it out into the world. Yeah. I'm knowing it's going to be fully picked apart, but I'm like, yeah. It's, you know, it's all going to be good. Anyway, thank you so much for today and uh, for sharing yourself and your art with all of us. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for listening. And just a heads up, applications are now open for the next cohort of my high-touch mastermind experience for artists called Studio Elite. 
It's a six month program that begins in the middle of July. It's limited in size as I work closely with each artist because let's face it, every artist is unique. The program includes weekly group coaching, monthly training, one-on-one -on -one coaching, art critiques, and an incredible community of supportive artists. Plus, and this is the best part, an exclusive in-person retreat with me and my team to mastermind and grow your art biz. If you'd like to apply for the program or just to learn more, click the link in the show notes and I'd love to see you there.